Jesus was out about his business, healing and teaching and ministering. And he received some very difficult news. One of his dear friends, a man named Lazarus, was very sick, sick to the point of death. And so Jesus set about his way to go and to be with Lazarus and his sisters. But by the time Jesus arrived, he was met by mourners, and particularly the mourning sisters of Lazarus. And they came up to him and they told him in their grief that Lazarus had died, that if Jesus maybe had just been there a little sooner, he could have healed him, but Lazarus was already dead and the sisters were distraught. And Jesus, being kind and compassionate, saw the mourning of the sisters and Jesus wept. And they led him to the tomb. And again, seeing the mortality of his friend, seeing that his friend, who was once alive and vital, was now dead in a tomb, Jesus saw that tomb again, and the Bible says that he was again deeply moved within his spirit, that he was broken, that he was hurting for his friend. But through his tears, Jesus saw what was coming next. And in front of the mourning sisters and all the people that were gathered there, Jesus looked at the tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And that's exactly what happened. And the people bore witness to resurrection and the power of God on display through Jesus. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking through the Gospel of Luke, focusing in on the teachings of Christ. And we've been looking at what Jesus teaches us about the kingdom of God. And we have seen that Jesus was very clear from the beginning that when he came into the world, he was bringing the kingdom of God with him. And it was like nothing the world had ever seen before. And Jesus also makes promises through the gospels. And then we see that ultimately in Revelation that one day there will be a day when he returns as the king of kings and lord of lords and puts the world back the way that it's supposed to be brings restoration and resurrection to the whole world. But we live in between those things. We live in between the time of Jesus inaugurating the kingdom of God and the time when he'll return to make it right and to make it new. We live in between resurrection and restoration. And because of that, we live in a world and we live lives that are often filled with pain, often live with heartbreak, sickness, and even death. But this morning on Easter Sunday, we remember that Christ has a cure for all of those things. And we're going to look today, letting the story of Lazarus and the story of Jesus raising a widow's son in Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, serve as a foundation and a foreshadowing of Christ's resurrection. And through these three stories of resurrection, we are going to see exactly what resurrection means, not only in the big picture, but how it changes and shapes our lives now and forevermore. And so we're going to see this message of Easter call us to view our lives through the eyes of Christ. Maybe at times filled with tears because of the pain and brokenness of this world, but never void of hope. Because we have a God who conquered the death once and for all in Christ. And he'll do that same for each and every one of us if we put our faith and hope in the resurrection of the Son of God. And so our text this morning comes from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. 
It says, soon afterward, he, Jesus, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, and the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, do not weep. Then he came and touched the bier, and the bearer stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, rise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. May God add his blessing and favor to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God for his word. Father God, each and every Sunday, we thank you for your word because it's through your word that we find out who you are. It's through your word that you reveal yourself to us and that we see your big plan of salvation. And God, today on this Easter Sunday, we see the climax of that. That the same Christ who was nailed to the cross on Good Friday and who died and laid dead in the tomb on Saturday was raised again to life on Sunday. And you have this promise for us that if any of us believe in Christ, if any of us trust in Christ, that same hope belongs to us as well. And so, Father, as we examine these stories of resurrection in your word, May the truth of that gospel, of that good news, penetrate us deep into our hearts. May we see it with new eyes, and may it change the way that we not only believe, but the way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we live, even, Father, the way that we die, because we know that you have a hope beyond this life for us. And so, Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for your Son. And, God, we pray all of these things in the name of of Christ our King. Amen. The first thing we see in this passage is that resurrection is born out of compassion. Resurrection is born out of compassion. I have an affinity, kind of in an ironic sense, I suppose, but I have an affinity for old Jesus movies, very old ones, and the older the better, and there's some silent ones, there's some foreign ones, there are a lot of very strange Jesus movies that have existed throughout history. But the way that Jesus is portrayed in any sort of media, in any sort of culture, is very, very strange. First off, he tends to be very white and very blonde, which is not a good combination for first century Middle Eastern life. But also, he is very sterile. There's one movie in particular where I saw where he doesn't really fit that mold. In the Gospel of John, an older movie, I believe from the 70s, Jesus is a big burly man and just very angry and aggressive. It's table-turning Jesus all the time. It's very strange. But in most of the Jesus movies and Jesus paintings and Jesus pictures, you see a picture of a very sterile, stoic person, always with a blank expression on his face, even when he's meeting with children, very sincere, very stern, very fixed very Greek, really. But that picture of Jesus that we see all throughout history doesn't match the picture of Christ that we see in the Gospels. That blank-faced, stony-eyed Jesus is very far from the Christ that we see portrayed in God's Word where we see Him revealed to us for who He really is. 
And we see that very clearly in this passage of Scripture, just like we did in the story of Lazarus. Jesus is just going about his business. He's just walking around through this town, and as he's entering into the gates, a funeral procession is coming out. And this would have been quite a deal because the the man was the only son of his mother who was a widow, and there were all sorts of people from the town gathered around as they were leading him out of the city, weeping and mourning and broken. And when Jesus approaches that funeral, we see the nature of Christ on full display as he sees these people and his heart is moved. You see, in this passage of scripture, we are very clearly shown that Jesus is not some sort of callous surgeon who has no care for what he's doing as he's healing. Jesus isn't some some pious miracle worker who walks through the towns with his nose in the air and his arms crossed as people gather around to get a glimpse of him, not caring about what's going on around him. But Jesus met this woman where she was, in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her brokenness, in the midst of her sorrow. He met her right at that point, right at that moment. And then when he spoke, he spoke to her with compassion. You see, what we, the first thing that Jesus says in this passage as he approaches the funeral is he looks at the face of a grieving mother who has no husband and now has no children, who is void of family at this moment. And he looks at her and he says, do not weep. And these aren't words of condescension. He's not chastising this woman for her tears, but he looks at her with compassion and he says, listen, if you knew what I know, you would know these tears are wasted. Don't weep because I have a plan, because I'm about to do something beyond your imagination. We see in this picture a compassionate Christ who loves and cares for those he meets at their lowest point. And this certainly isn't the only time in the New Testament that we see the compassion of Christ. As Jesus is going from town to town, we're told in Matthew that he looked at all of the people in these towns and he saw them as people who were like sheep without a shepherd. That they didn't know which way was up and which way was down. That the circumstances of life had them troubled and broken. They were lost not only in their pain, but also in their sin. And Jesus looked at them with eyes filled with compassion. Once when Jesus overlooked the city of Jerusalem, The same city that would eventually turn on him and have him put to death on a cross. Jesus looked over Jerusalem and he says, how long I have longed to gather you under my wings. Like a mother hen protects her chicks. How long I've wanted to take you in and care for you because you're so lost and you're so broken and I love you so deeply. All through the life of Christ, we see that compassion is present in absolutely everything that he does. This is not a God who is unfamiliar with our pain and our suffering, but we're told in Scripture that he is a high priest who knows, who has been tempted and tried in every way that we have. And so Jesus doesn't simply sympathize with us. Jesus empathizes with us and feels our pain. And so as he looks at this funeral and as he sees the eyes of this weeping mother, his heart is moved with compassion and love. And that's his motivation for raising her son from the death. It's not about fame. It's not about having attention drawn to himself, but it's because he loves this woman and her son. And it's the compassion of Christ that raises the dead to life. 
In the same way that we see Jesus deeply moved as he stands outside the tomb of his friend. In both of these stories of resurrection, it was the compassionate heart of Jesus that moved him to call the dead back to life. And these stories are not simply foreshadowings of Christ's resurrection in the physical sense, but they also foreshadow Christ's resurrection emotionally and spiritually. You see, what drove Jesus to the cross on that Good Friday was not obligation. He wasn't simply doing what he had to do because he had this plan and he had this purpose. Jesus was moved to the cross because he loved us unconditionally and loved us enough to die for us. What brought Jesus bursting out of that tomb on that first Easter Sunday was not some sort of survivalism, but he burst out of the tomb because he had compassion on us and knew that the only way to free us of our sin was to die on the cross and raise back to life so that we could have that same hope of new life as well. You see, Easter reminds us that God didn't look on us and our sin and our brokenness with disgust or disdain. But he looked on our sin and our brokenness with compassion and love. And that compassion compelled by love has the power to give us the possibility to find life. And that's what we call the gospel, the good news. The Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That as Drew said in our confession of sin, all of us find ourselves in the same boat. We're all on equal footing. There is none of us who deserves any righteousness from God because we've all messed up. And yet God still loves us unconditionally so much so that while we were dead in our sins and trespasses, God gave Christ. That God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son and that Jesus died on the cross as a criminal. That Jesus took our shame and our guilt on him and then on that third day rose again. And the Bible tells us clearly that if we simply put our trust in Christ, that we can be saved. That it's not based on what you've done. It's not based on what you've accomplished. It's not based on your personality or your wealth or your fame or your prestige. It's not based on anything that you have because we don't have enough. But it's based on what Christ has done for us. And he gives it to us as a free gift of grace. And it all comes because he loves us. Because he had compassion on us when we were at our weakest. But not only do we find forgiveness of our sins through believing in Christ, but the Bible says that the new life of Christ will lead us to find new life as well. Paul says that if we have been baptized into a death like Christ, we will surely have a resurrection like Christ as well. And so one day there will be a time when all of our pain comes to an end. When all of that brokenness, when all of our sin, when everything that is wrong in this world comes to an end and all those who trust in Christ will be raised to new life and we will be perfected with Jesus and we will be with Christ forever. And that is really good news. So yes, life is full of failure. Oftentimes we come up short, we mess up, we sin and we fall. Life is full of hardships and difficult circumstances that lead us to feel broken. Life is full of tragedy and sickness and death. And so there will be times when we experience the grief of the widow as she stands over her son. 
We experience the pain of Mary and Martha as they lay their brother to rest in the tomb. That we weep the same tears that they weep. We weep the same tears of the women sitting at the foot of the cross as Jesus is breathing his last. But as we do, our compassionate Christ looks at us and he meets us where we are and he holds us by the face and he says, don't weep. Your tears are only temporary. This is all going to pass away because of what I have done for you. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we can look at everything in our lives, the triumphs and the tragedy, the health and the sickness, the strength and the brokenness with a completely new pair of eyes because we see that in view of eternity. That's how Paul was able to say when he was suffering or when he was thriving that he knew all of these things were temporary and that what Christ had in store for him was so much better. And so because resurrection is born out of compassion, we can mourn and suffer and grieve and even die with hope because we trust in the resurrection of our compassionate Savior. And so resurrection was born out of compassion. We also see that resurrection is achieved by the power of God. Resurrection is achieved by the power of God. I love the form and the structure of the Bible. And I love how much the Bible references itself and all the parallels throughout Scripture because it reminds us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that God has had this one beautiful plan for all of eternity. And when we look at the Bible, when we see the Bible's beginning and the Bible's ending, it's encapsulated by the Word of God. And then right in the middle in John, when we see the gospel taking form again, we see God speak. Genesis 1 begins with this idea that God is creating the heavens and the earth. And as he does, when he starts to put everything in his place, it says that God speaks and the creation moves. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says that in the beginning, in that same beginning, was the Word, or was Jesus, and the Word of God was with God, and the Word was God. And then in Revelation 21, we see God speaking again, saying, Behold, I am making all things new. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And all through Scripture, we see the power of God marked by the Word of God. And we see God do incredible things all through the whole narrative of the Bible. Creation itself is this incredible picture of God's strength where God is shaping and moving the universe just by the power of his word. All through the Old Testament and the New, we see these miracles that defy our understandings and take the physical world and turn it upside down on its head, showing us that everything in the universe obeys the commandments of God. All through the Bible, we see that God has power like nothing we can imagine. But when Jesus walked up on that funeral, the power of God was put on display in a new and an incredible way. Because this guy was dead, all the way dead the for real kind of dead, all of your friends and family coming out and crying over you dead, not coming back to life dead, cold turkey. I don't know any more euphemisms for this, but please follow me. This guy is dead. And dead people, again, follow this train of thought, don't come back. Once you get to that point, there's nothing more. And a lot of times I think it can be easy to look back on the ancient world, especially the world around Scripture, 
and think that they just saw the world completely differently than we do. And in some ways, of course, they did. But throughout history, everyone has understood that once you die, physically, that's it. Some ancient cultures, of course, believe that maybe you lived on spiritually somewhere else, but the idea of someone physically coming back to life was just as absurd to them thousands of years ago as it is to us as well. N.T. Wright, a New Testament scholar, points out that in all ancient cultures, there is almost no mention or belief in bodily resurrection and physical people who are physically dead, physically coming back to life. And so for these people gathered around the funeral, there was no expectation that anything else was going to happen. For Mary and Martha, as Lazarus laid in the tomb, they believed that Jesus had the power to heal him when he was sick. But when Jesus came after he had been dead for several days, they knew that that was it. In fact, they even said to Jesus, if you had just come a little earlier, you could have fixed this. But now all hope is gone because when somebody is dead, they're dead. Verse 14 says that he came up and he touched the beer and the bearers stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. With just a word and a touch, Jesus shook loose the grip of death that had never been loosed before. The final enemy that no one could defeat, that no one had the power to rise up against. With just a word and a touch, Jesus took the grip of death and he said, let go and death let go. And the young man sat up. And then Luke said, and fear seized them all. Yes, I would imagine so. That is an entirely appropriate response, that if someone is dead and then sits up alive, it is perfectly normal, in case you're wondering, for fear to in fact seize all. All of us. And I don't want to quabble with the inspired writer of Scripture here, but Luke probably could have made his book a little shorter by not telling us that because I feel like it is implied if someone is dead and then gets back up, yes, people would have a bit of an awkward reaction to it. But so they see this happen, and because it completely destroys their expectations, they were seized by fear. Because everything that they understood about life and death was completely unraveled before their eyes. And right at that moment, they had seen the power of God in a way that no one in the universe had ever seen it before. But as things happen, time passed on. And the mood changed. As Jesus went into Jerusalem caused some problems with his teaching and his actions. And some religious leaders conspired against him, turned the people against him. And he was arrested, tried, beaten, and nailed to a cross. And if there was one thing for sure, nobody comes back from a Roman cross. They were very good at killing you. And so now the giver of life the one who people had watched not only heal the sick but raise the dead, now he hangs on a cross, breathes his last breath, and he is laid dead inside of a tomb, and the giver of life is dead, and everyone scattered. Because it's one thing to raise other people, but to raise yourself, it doesn't happen. 
Think about even the accusations made against Jesus as he's hanging on the cross and a voice echoes out, we've seen him save others, why can't he save himself? And clearly that resonated through the lives of not only Jesus' enemies, but also his friends. Because they clearly thought, yes, Jesus had the power to heal the sick and to raise the dead, but if he is dead, then it's all over. And on Friday night and Saturday, we see Jesus in the tomb and all of his disciples scattered because they had forgotten. They had seen the power of God put on display before their eyes on multiple occasions, and yet now when the circumstances went not according to plan and beyond what they could understand or imagine, they lost their faith, they lost their hope, and they ran away. But on the third day, When no one was around to even notice it, the word of God spoke and called Jesus out of the tomb. And just like it happened for Lazarus, just like it happened for the widow's son, death, which was undefeated for so long, let go of Christ and Jesus walked out of the tomb in new life. And in the resurrection, God proved that he has no rival and that he has no enemy that could ever stand against him. Not even the cold finality of the tomb could raise its hand to God, but had to obey everything that God commanded. And the same power that raised Christ from the dead, the New Testament says, that same God has the power to raise you and I as well. We say a lot of weird things around Christian holidays. A lot of times, because it happens in the spring, Easter can be associated with new beginnings. And maybe you've come here today thinking if I go to church today or if I I go through this service or I'm thinking the right things and praying the right prayers, then maybe I can get a fresh start. I haven't been doing the things that I should do. I haven't been reading the Bible. I haven't been praying. Maybe I've been in a, a lifestyle or a cycle of sin. Maybe this can be my new beginning. But Easter is not about new beginnings. It's about becoming a new creation. Easter is not about bad people getting a little better, but Easter is about dead people coming to life. And what's amazing about Easter is only the power of Christ has the ability to do that. We can put plans into place to be a little better. We can follow some self-help guidelines to make ourselves better people, but only the power of the risen Christ has the ability to take something that is dead inside of us and bring it to new life and keep it alive for all eternity. And it comes to us completely free of charge. Because again, Easter can be one of those mornings where we think we have to do all the things the right way to be acceptable to God. But Christ and his death and resurrection reminds us that God met us where we were. And that we don't have to try to climb and claw our way to Christ because Jesus offered himself for us. And that if anyone trusts in Christ, we can be made brand new from the inside out. Because when the compassion of God moves the power of God, salvation is born and it is free to anyone who would come. So resurrection is born out of compassion and achieved by the power of God. And finally here we see that resurrection demands a response. It demands a response. I can't imagine what this scene must have looked like 
as the people saw this, this son who was dead come back to life. I can't imagine what it looked like as fear seized everyone. I can't imagine how loud and chaotic it must have been because who could understand what was happening right in front of them? But Luke helps us understand at least what was going on internally in the lives of the people that saw the son raised from the dead. Because while their first response was fear, that certainly wasn't their last response. In verse 16, It says, fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. You see, when people saw the power of Jesus on this incredible display as he raises the dead back to life, there was absolutely no question any longer about who he was. This was no ordinary man. In fact, they couldn't even stay on the word prophet long enough. Because they said, yes, Jesus is a great prophet. A great prophet has arisen among us, but it's more. God has visited with us. God has visited his people. This is God in human flesh. I get to teach this awesome fifth grade class in the Christian Learning Center through the week. And every quarter of school, we get a new class. And so a couple weeks ago, I got to meet my new class And there's this little guy in the class named William. He's awesome, and he's tiny, and he's loud, and he has a very, very high-pitched voice. It's great, and he's so hyper, and he refers to everyone as human beings. So when he talks to the entire class, he says, listen, human beings, and then he goes, but it's really high and hilarious, like helium-level high. And so I was getting some stuff done. We were meeting in the media center at the school before we go off campus to our classroom, And so I was pulling some paperwork, getting everything ready, and the kids were just kind of talking amongst themselves, and I hear William in his high-pitched, awesome little voice, and he says, did you guys know that Jesus is God wrapped in flesh? I said, yes, I did know that. How do you know that, you tiny, wonderful little human being? But that's exactly what the people saw on display. They realized this is not a normal person. This is God wrapped in flesh coming and meeting us where we are. Before his birth, the proclamation was made that Christ's name would be Emmanuel. God with us. We've been talking through the book of Luke at how Jesus brought the kingdom of God, not to those who could earn it, not to those who could afford it, but to all people, to the common people, to the broken people, to the sinful people. And now we see the incarnate God of the universe meeting people where they were, meeting these people in this small town, usually overlooked and abandoned by the rest of the world. Jesus, the king of the kingdom of God, the son of God was in their midst, meeting them where they were. The almighty God of the universe has made himself known to widows and common people like us. And because of that, they worshiped God. They glorified God. And how could they not? 
How could that not be their response as they see how much God loves them? That not only do they know that God loves them because of what they've heard from their fathers and from the people that have come before them, but now they know how much God loves them because God himself walked into their town, touched the face of one of their mothers, and raised one of their children back to life. That is the kind of God that they have, that the God that they serve, and how could they not respond by praising and glorifying God? This resurrection born out of compassion that is achieved through incomprehensible power demands that we have a response. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the tomb, it says that his sisters believed. And that's such an interesting passage there because these sisters knew Jesus. They were friends. They were disciples of Jesus. They followed Jesus. But after they saw Jesus raise their brother from the dead, they believed in Jesus. And they understood that he was the son of God. But at the same time as the sisters were believing in Jesus and praising God, the religious leaders knew that Jesus was much more of a threat than they ever imagined to the systems that they had in place. And so as the sisters were believing in Jesus, the religious leaders who watched this take place were conspiring in another place to have Jesus killed. During Jesus' resurrection... As news of the empty tomb began to spread, we see Peter and one of the other disciples hear that the tomb was empty and they ran to the tomb. I don't know how long it was, but they ran wide open because they couldn't get there fast enough to see if it was true. And so the disciples hurried themselves to the tomb where Christ was laid. When Mary Magdalene first encountered the resurrected Christ, she clung to Jesus so tightly. He said, listen, I love you, but you're going to have to back up a little bit. But she wanted to hold him so tightly because she knew the power of God. Maybe the most famous response to the resurrection of Christ is in the disciple Thomas. Who when he was speaking to the other disciples, the thought and the the belief that Jesus could have been raised from the dead was too beyond what he could ever imagine. Even though he had seen Christ raise others from the dead, he knew that this was an impossible thing. And he says, I can't believe that until I see the wounds in his hand and in his feet. And then Jesus appears before Thomas and he gets to see everything about who Christ is. And he falls to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. And now how do you respond to the God who brings life out of death? How do I respond to the God who brings life out of death? Because there is no neutral to this story. There is no way to hear this story and think it's a nice story and move along the way. There's no way to even ignore this story because we are saying and confessing the truth that someone, not an anyone... But the very Son of God, God in human form, died on a cross, killed by the Roman government, three days later rose again to new life. And so we can either respond with dismissal, saying that it's an old fairy tale and that it's something that's impossible and something could never happen, and walk away. Maybe we respond like the religious leaders outside of Lazarus' tomb saying, this messes with my worldview too much. This messes with my life too much. This would demand too much of me, and I don't want to change anything about who I am. And so instead of trusting in this, I'm going to war against this truth. Or maybe we look at the resurrection 
and we believe in faith that God raised Christ from the dead. That we believe in this historical true thing that happened as the power of God was put on ultimate display, raising his only son from the dead and changing the course of history and the course of eternity. And if you're here and you've never trusted in Christ before, then that is the message that we call good news. And the Bible says that if you believe in the resurrection of Christ, if you believe in that truth, if you trust in Jesus and you want to follow after Christ, then salvation belongs to you. And if you've never trusted in that message before, if you've never believed in Christ before, if you've never been baptized into Jesus before, then what better day to do that than Easter Sunday? And in just a little while, we're going to come and take communion. If you've never trusted in Christ before, during that communion time, if you want to come and talk with me or with Pastor Adam or Pastor David about what it means to be a follower of Christ, I beg you don't leave this place without knowing more about following Jesus as Savior and Lord. If you're here and you have responded to that message of Easter Sunday with belief and repentance before, If you're a follower of Christ and you trust in Jesus, then that's not the only response that we are entitled to. Because if you respond in belief to the resurrection, you cannot be still. In verse 17, it says, And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. And that makes sense. Because if we were here and there was a dead person on stage, that would be really awkward and uncomfortable. And I would probably apologize for it because that would make us all deeply unfamiliar with our settings. But if there was someone who was dead in this room right now and they were raised back to life and we all saw it happen, there's no way that we would walk out these doors and think, that was a really nice service. That was just a really special thing. that I'm going to treasure that in my heart. Tell no one. Think about it none at all and go about my life. If that happened here in this room today, we would leave telling everybody that we could. We would talk about it as often as we could. We would call the press. We would call our friends and family. We'd say, guess what happened today? I saw someone who was dead come back to life. But the reality is, my friends and family, we have all seen someone who was dead and come back to life. If you have trusted in Christ for salvation, not only do you know the resurrected King and Son of God, but you yourself, the Bible said, were once dead in your sins and trespasses and have been made alive in Christ. And so we have the responsibility to tell the world about what Christ has done for us, to use our voices and to use our lives to declare the good news of resurrection everywhere we go. We have to tell the world because how could we not? The compassionate God of the universe who has the power to speak stars into existence has visited with us intimately and personally and saved us by his grace and touched us and loved us and cared for us and raised us into new life. And so how could we not tell everyone about it? We have a call to action. Whether it's to trust in Christ for the first time ever this morning or to make sure that we never treat another day the same because we've been saved by grace, we have work to do. We have a response to give. And so in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our hardships, 
in the midst of our successes and our triumphs and everywhere in between. We need to look to the compassionate and gracious God who holds us as we weep, saying, don't weep because I have something better for you. The God who looks at our successes and says, don't hold on to these things too tightly because I have something that one day is going to make these look like a passing sand. The God who holds our salvation in his hands and says, I know you can't do anything to earn this, but here this belongs to you because of what I have done for you. That God is calling us to move. And so on this Easter Sunday and every day past that, let's move in the rhythms of God's grace using our words and our lives, the way that we love and the way that we serve to teach the world that we have a God who loves us so much that he brings the dead to life and that we have a hope for an eternity where we will live with Christ forever.